All right, we'll get into it again. All right, let's take our Bibles, Joshua, Joshua chapter 2. Here's what we're going to do tonight. Joshua chapter 2, the entire chapter is one account that cannot really be separated and still do justice to the account. And so what we're going to do here is we're going to read through all 24 verses, and I want you to really pay attention. It's a story that's pretty easy to follow, exciting story, and if we pay close attention in the reading, then what we'll do throughout the message is we will hit verses along the way, but we'll do a lot of referring to what we read. That sound good? And so let's get our thinking hats on, okay? Engage our brains. All right, and we'll read starting in verse 1. And Joshua, the son of Nun, now it's N-U-N, he did have parents, okay? He wasn't the son of Nun, he was the son of N-U-N, Nun. And he sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. Now, just to help you, as we read, Jericho is the first city in Canaan. They're going to cross over the river. They said We said that last week. They're getting ready to do that. And the first, the first place they hit in Canaan land is Jericho. That will be the first battle. And so Jer- Joshua is sending spies to view the land, see what they're up against. Okay? And he said, view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into an harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in hither to, uh, tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. So the spies were found out, and they were found out in Rahab's house. And so they told Rahab, basically, you need to get them out. Verse 3, and the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come to thee, which are entered into thine house, for they come to search out all the country. Thereon to the spies. Verse 4. And the women, and the woman, just one Rahab, took the two men and hid them. And thus there came men unto me and said thus. So here she hid them, and she says this to the king's men. There came men unto me, but I wist not whence they were. Now she's lying. Okay, she's lying about this. This is not okay in a sense. Okay, we'll talk about that in a second. And it came to pass about the time of shredding the gate, when it was dark, that the men went out. Whither the men went, I wot not. Pursue after them quickly, for ye shall overtake them. So she says, look, they were here and they left. I don't know where they are. Okay, that's a lie. But she is protecting the spies. Okay, we'll talk about that. Verse 6. But she had brought them up to the roof of the house and hid them in the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order upon the roof. And the men pursued, this is the king's men, pursued after them the way to Jordan unto the fords. And as soon as they, the king's men, were pursued after them, were gone out, they shut the gate. And before they were laid down, she came up unto them upon the roof. So she goes up on the roof to talk to the spies. Okay, verse 9, and she said unto the men, I know, now here's, here's where her faith is shown. I know that the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, we'll say in, we'll talk about it in a second, hath given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when ye came out of Egypt, and what ye did to the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you, 
For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Now therefore I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that ye will also show kindness unto my father's house, and give me a true token. And that ye will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters, and all that they have, all that they have and deliver our lives from death. <clears throat> so she asked for mercy. She said, I helped you because I know you're from the, the, the God who is, and he's bringing judgment, and I'm asking for mercy. Here's what they say in verse uh, 14. And the men answered her, Our life for yours, if ye utter not this our business. And it shall be when the Lord hath given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. Then she let them down by a cord to the window, for her house was upon the town wall, and she dwelt upon the wall. And she said unto them, Go, get you to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you there, and meet you, and hide yourselves three, there three days until the pursuers be returned. So she lets them down through the wall, tells them to go hide for three days, and then, and then go after they're done looking for you. And afterward, you may go your way. Verse 17, And the men said unto her, We will be blameless of this thine oath, which thou hast made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window. Scarlet being a red thread, and, uh, which, which thou didst let us down by. And thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto thee. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house into the street, his blood shall be upon his head. And we will be guiltless. And whosoever shall be with thee in the house, his blood shall be upon our head, if any hand be upon him. They're saying, you, you, you put this cord in your window, and when we come to destroy the city, anyone in this house will be safe. If you leave the house, you're not going to be safe. But if you stay in the house, you'll be safe. Okay, uh, verse 20. And if thou utter this our business, then we will be quit of thine oath, which thou hast made us to swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed, and she bound the scarlet line in the window, and they went and came into the mountain and abode there three days until the pursuers were returned. And the pursuers sought them throughout all the way, but found them not. And so the, men, the two men returned and descended from the mountain and passed over and came to Joshua the son of Nun and told him all things that befell them. And they said unto Joshua, Truly the Lord hath delivered into our hands all the land, for even all the inhabitants of the country do faint because of us. We did it. How are we doing? you have an idea what's going on here? So we're going to pray and we'll, we'll preach this message. God is gracious until the day of judgment. All the way until the day of judgment. He's gracious. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for, for Rahab and the example that she gave and really the example that you showed in her life and help us to learn from it. And I pray that you be glorified tonight. Let's see my pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. <clears throat> Great job. So the book of Joshua tells us about when God used Joshua to lead Israel into the promised land. Now, pastor finished with Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy was bringing them up to the brink of the promised land. If you remember, Moses wasn't able to go, but Moses was able to bring them all the way, and he can see the land far off, and he died. And now Joshua is, is going to be the one who brings them into the promised land. This is the land that God promised Israel hundreds of years ago to Abraham. 
Remember Abraham? God said, I'll give you this land that you walk on. Israel was in bondage, though, after that for 400 years in Egypt. Remember that? And so for 400 years, they were waiting for this promised land while they were in bondage. And God sent Moses and God delivered them from Egypt. And then for 40 years after that, 40 years is a long time. We just kind of say that. That's a long time. And they were walking around in the desert waiting to enter the promised land. And finally, it was time. It was time. And they're excited. And when, now, now here's what we need to think about today. Is while God was giving Israel the land he promised them, he was also judging the Canaanites. Who's the Canaanites? Well, those are the ones who live in the promised land. Canaan is the promised land. The Canaanites are the guys living there. And God was going to bring Israel into Canaan and have him wipe out the Canaanites. And so are you seeing that while God is bringing blessing to Israel, he's also bringing judgment to Canaan? Are you here? Are you with me? This is very important. And so, listen, God wasn't just taking the land from the Canaanites because he wanted to give it to Israel. He wasn't some kind of imperial like colonist who came in and just wiped them out because he wanted it. God was actually pronouncing judgment on the Canaanites. It wasn't like God told the Israelites, destroy them because I want to give you the land. No. They didn't, the Canaanites just weren't happening to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. That's not what's happening here. Actually, the land of Canaan, including Jericho, had already been condemned by God for a long time. Hundreds of years even. The Canaanites were a wicked people. Now in Leviticus 18, if you want to turn there, you can. I'm going to read a few verses. And God's going to describe the Canaanites. He said this to, to Israel. He said to Israel, And thou shalt not let any of thy seed pass through the fire to Molech. He's telling Israel, Don't burn your babies to false gods alive. Why do you have to say that? Well, you'll know why. He said, Don't do that. Neither shalt thou profane the name of thy God, I am the Lord. Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. Men don't lay with men, and women don't lay with women. Here's what God says, it's an abomination. Neither shalt thou lie with any beast to defile thyself therewith. We're not going to describe that today. Neither shall any woman stand before a beast to lie down thereunto. It is confusion. Are you seeing the disgusting nature of why, what God's telling them? And why does God even have to tell them that? Here's why. Defile not yourselves at any of these things, for in all these, those things we just said, the nations are defiled which I cast out before you. God said, that's what the Canaanites are doing right now. The Canaanites are burning their babies as alive to, the, to their god, Molech. Don't do that. The Canaanites are involved in homosexuality and bestiality. You're not going to do that. See? So he's telling Israel not to do that, but at the same time, he's helping us see who these Canaanites are. Very wicked, aren't they? Very wicked. And so it was just a matter of time before God's judgment would be poured out on the Canaanites. In Deuteronomy 7, 23 and 24, God said this, But the Lord thy God shall deliver them, the Canaanites, unto thee. And, sh- and shall destroy them, God will, with a mighty destruction, until they are destroyed. 
and he shall deliver their kings into thine hand, and thou shalt destroy their name from under heaven. There shall no man be able to stand before thee until thou hast destroyed them. God said, I want you to go into Canaan, and I'm going to use you to destroy the Canaanites because of their wickedness. If the Canaanites weren't so wicked, God would have allowed them to, to live with Israel. If they were willing to repent, if they were willing to take the name of God and follow God's commands, they would have been able to commingle and, and be a part of what's happening there, but they weren't ready to repent. And for hundreds of years, God called them to repent, and they refused, and they refused. Here's why they had to destroy all the Canaanites. Uh, Deuteronomy 2 uh, 7 verses 2 through 5 and, G and God said and when the Lord thy God shall deliver them again the Canaanites before thee thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them thou shalt make no covenant with them nor show mercy unto them neither shalt thou make marriages with them thy daughter shall not go unto his son nor his daughter unto thy son why for they will turn away thy son from following me he said if you make covenant with them they'll turn you against me you, they cannot stay there. You have to wipe them out because they will defile you. And that they'll cause you to serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. But, thou shalt, but thus shall you deal with them. Ye shall destroy their altars and break down their images and cut down their groves and burn their graven images with fire. And so these are a wicked people and they had no interest in repenting. And it's not like God just told them this yesterday. God gave them a lot of time to repent because of His grace. He's given them hundreds, 400 plus years to repent, and they were not interested in repenting. And God is gracious, but that doesn't mean there's not coming a day of judgment. If God wasn't gracious, He would just bring judgment right now. But God does promise that there's going to come a day of judgment. And remember, our God is gracious, and he does not want to judge, so he gives time for repentance. That's the character of our God. And the same was true for the Canaanites. How are we doing? Okay. He gave them more than 400 years. During the time of Abraham, he even told them they needed to repent. It may refused. And so while this was an exciting time of victory for Israel, it was also a time of judgment for the Canaanites. And so Joshua sent two spies to Jericho. And Joshua knew it was finally time to infiltrate Canaan, and they were going to start with Jericho. And so he sent his two spies to see what they were up against in Jericho. And when the spies entered Jericho, they lodged at Rahab's house. Now, Rahab was a harlot. Now, it doesn't mean that the spies went looking for a harlot's house to live in. At that time, it was common for harlots to own an inn. And it says that they lodged at, Ray, at Rahab's house. So most likely this was an inn, and it just happened to be owned and operated by a harlot named Rahab. Okay? And the passage doesn't really tell us how their thought process, how they ended up at Rahab's house, but we do know this, that God did that. Because God wanted to reach Rahab. God knew the heart of Rahab. God knew that Rahab had heard about God. God knew that God, Rahab had placed her faith and believed in the God of Israel. And even though she was a harlot, she had faith that God, the God of Israel was real. And so God sent the spies providentially to her house, you see. And the king, we read, found out about the spies and that they were at Rahab's house. But Rahab protected them. 
word made it to the king. He sent men to her house. The king's men demanded that Rahab bring the men out and turn in the spies, but she hid the spies. And then she lied, right? He read the lie. And she said, I don't know where they are, like a, like a teenager. Well, why'd you do that? I don't know. You know? Okay. Okay. Uh, so anyway, I don't know where the men went. You know, maybe you should chase after them. And they, and they were on the roof. She hit them on the roof. Now, the Bible doesn't condone her lie. Okay? It's not like you get to lie sometimes if it really bad helps. Okay? God could have worked it out if she were to be honest. All right? But she was a Canaanite. And this is the way Canaanites lived. She was lost, right? And she was trying to do good, but she, even in trying to do good, was doing bad, you see. That's the way she lived her life. But what this account does show is that she wasn't against Israel. And she wasn't against the God of Israel. Why didn't she just give up the spies? The rest of Jericho thought of Israel as the enemy. Clearly she didn't, right? Are you seeing that? Anyone else in Israel would have just given him up, not Rahab. And we'll see what, what's happening in her heart with, with what she says next. Like verse 8, again, we're not going to read all the verses, but, and before they were laid down, she came to the roof, uh, came up to them upon the roof where they were hid, and she said to the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land. The Lord hath, give, hath given you the land. And so she understood who God was, okay? She understood who God was, and she understood that Jericho was under the judgment of God. These are two very important things to know. Who God is, and that judgment is coming. She understood that. She even called God by his covenant name. All throughout this, as Rahab's describing God, it says capital L-O-R-D, if you see in your Bible, capital L-O-R-D in the Old Testament, that's referring to Jehovah. That was the Hebrew name for God, Jehovah, the covenant God. His name, his personal covenant name with Israel. And that was a name that really only Israel used. It was a name that only those who were in covenant with God would use. It was his personal name. Those that didn't believe in the Jehovah God, when they referred to Israel's God, they used a generic word for God. The same word that was used for false gods. They would just use that term. But she used his covenant name. Because she believed in him. She, we read it. He's the God of heaven, she said. Right? She believed that he was the true God. And so she believed in the God of Israel. And Rahab knew that the God of Israel was going to bring judgment upon Jericho. And she said... Hey, we're not the only one. I'm not the only one in Jericho scared of your God. All of Jericho is, is scared of God. They don't call him Jehovah, but they know about Israel, and they know about the God of Israel. They're scared, but they're mostly angry about it, but they do recognize the power of God. They had all heard about the Red Sea. I mean, you know what happened at the Red Sea? where the waters parted and an entire nation, millions of people walked on dry ground. Word spread about that. And so Jericho heard about that, including Rahab. They heard about how that Israel utterly destroyed king after king. Uh, she names 
the Amorite king Sihon and Og, how the God of Israel is wiping out these people that Israel had confronted. And so Jericho is hearing about this. Jericho has heard that this nation has come to the brink of the Jordan, and Jericho knows that they have their eyes set on Jericho. Yeah. But Rahab was different than the rest of the people of Jericho. They were scared of Israel, and whoever their God was, you see, that's how they kind of viewed it. But Rahab believed in Jehovah and had faith that the true God in heaven above and earth beneath was the one bringing judgment. Are you following? Are you seeing the difference? And no doubt she knew how wicked she was. She knew she deserved God's judgment. Listen, she was not only a Canaanite, she was a Canaanite harlot. Like she was wicked as a, in the eyes of Canaanites. That's how wicked she was. And she knew it. She knew she deserved God's judgment. And so she asked for mercy. She asked for mercy. We read it. She risked her life to protect the spies. Why? Because of her faith. Well, how do you know that? Well, first of all, she names God as the God who is, the God of heaven and earth. But Hebrews 11.31 says, By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she received the spies with peace. And so because of her faith in God, she received the spies and protected them. She did that by faith. And so, as she already has shown, she understood that when she asked the Israelites for peace, who she's really asking for peace is the God of Israel. You see. So she's asking for mercy from the God of Israel. Not just the armies of Israel. She knows she's asking for mercy from the God of Israel. Because it's Him that brought judgment. Yeah. And so she had faith that God was real, she had faith that the judgment of God was real, and she had faith that she deserved the judgment of God. And because of her faith, she protected the spies. Now, she's not saved by her works, in a sense. She's not saved because she hid the spies. She was saved because of her faith, and her faith caused her to protect the spies. Follow? And so the spies promised that they would they would save her from judgment. The spies promised their life for hers. Um, her house was on the city wall. We read that. And so she let them down by a cord and said, go hide in the mountains for three days. The guys that I just sent off with my lie, they're going to be looking for you. But if you hide in the mountains for three days, they'll stop looking for you. Then you go back over to, to, to Joshua and tell them the report. And so... Again, the spies thanked her. The, the spies said they'd keep their promise. And the spies said, here's what you need to do. We're going to go. Here's what you need to do. Hang the scarlet cord from your window and stay in your house. Hang the scarlet cord from your window stay in your house. When we come, we will keep your house safe. We're going to destroy the rest of Jericho, but your house will not be touched. And again, if you leave the house, you left the house. We're not going to be asking names. But if you stay in the house and if we see the cord, you'll be safe. And so they left. And then what, what does it say she did? She hung the cord. Yep. Doing good? So Rahab's story, it's a beautiful picture of God's grace, isn't it? 
Rahab and the entire city were under the imminent judgment of God. They were just three days away from judgment. Rahab was a sinner, and Rahab knew it. Not only was she a Canaanite, she was a Canaanite harlot. And she knew she deserved God's judgment. But God gave Rahab and Canaan a period of grace. Remember, God gave Canaan that 400 years uh, to repent before judgment came. And God gave them time to recognize who He was. God gave them time to understand the reality of His power. It was God's grace that they heard about the Red Sea. It was God's grace that they heard about Og and Sidon. It was God's grace they heard about the power of God. Why? Because it made it real to them, and it showed them that God really is powerful, and God really will bring judgment. This is, God, this is all God's grace to Jericho. And He gave them time to repent of their sin. But God sought out Rahab and gave her a chance. Jericho wasn't interested in repenting. They heard about God. They heard about the power of Israel, but they were just scared. They weren't really interested in repenting. But Rahab was. And God sent those spies to Rahab's house. God did that. God sent those spies to Rahab's house before he sent the armies of Israel to Rahab's house. Are you following? That's his grace. And the spies just so happened to lodge there, right? And God knew that Rahab had faith, even though the rest of Jericho rejected him. And so God made sure that all those who believe in him would be saved. That's our God. God makes sure that all those who have faith in him and who are willing to repent will be saved. And God knew that Rahab believed in him and was ready to repent, and so God sent the spies. You see? And Rahab didn't earn God's favor. Rahab was the lowest of the low. All Rahab did was place her faith in the God of Israel. And that was enough to save Rahab from destruction. And God, for 400 years, was looking for any Canaanite that would repent. And right there at the end, someone did. God didn't want to destroy them. He didn't want to destroy them. He gave them 400 years to repent, but they never did until that last three days when one Canaanite harlot repented. And God made sure to save her. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? Listen, God doesn't want to bring listen, God doesn't want to bring his judgment on anybody. God does not want to bring his judgment on anybody. And some people see our God as a God of judgment and wrath. He's out to destroy, and all these people are just trying to do good, but God doesn't care. He's just going to destroy them all in the end. That's not our God. That's a, that is so opposite of the character of our God. God is gracious. So gracious. And God is, does not want anybody to face His judgment. If you're here this morning, you know that. That's why He came. God desperately wants for all mankind to repent of their sin and turn from their way and turn to Him. In fact, God did everything He could to save man from His judgment. That's why he became a man. That's why he died. That's why God, the Creator, died. Don't tell me God's not gracious. Don't tell me God doesn't 
doesn't want to save people from our sin. He became a human and he died on the cross. That's crazy. He did everything he could to save man from their sin. And he suffered and he bled and he died so that we can escape his judgment. And all we have to do is, like Rahab, just place faith in him and repent of our sin. That's all we need. And the scarlet blood of Christ will cover our house. And when judgment comes, we won't be a part of it. Praise the Lord for that. That's an incredible amount of grace. And our God is gracious to the end, to the very end. This is right before judgment came, and God saved Rahab. As long as someone is not actively facing the judgment of God, there is still hope for salvation. Not because of them, not because there, there's, not because there's some good in there somewhere. There's not good in anyone anywhere. The reason there's still hope for salvation is because of the goodness of our God, and because judgment hadn't come yet. Rahab was days away from being destroyed with the rest of Jericho, and Rahab was the worst of sinners. And it doesn't matter, listen, it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done, if you're still breathing, there is hope for salvation. Why? Because our God is gracious. And as long as you're breathing, there's hope. If there's somebody in your life, listen to me, if there's somebody in your life who you feel has no hope to ever be saved, you're wrong. You're wrong. Are they breathing? Is their heart beating? Here's what that means. There's hope. There's hope for salvation. If anyone would have had no hope because they're so wicked, it would have been Canaanite harlot Rahab. Right? God desperately wants to save anybody, anybody, anybody who will repent of their sin and place their faith in Him. All the way to the very end. I can't tell you how many times I've heard of people crying out to God on their deathbed. I mean, seconds before they died, cried out to God, and their sins were forgiven. The thief on the cross, moments, maybe even seconds before he died. Remember the crosses of Christ? Well, one cross of Christ, but there were two other crosses, one of them being a, a thief who deserved to be crucified, he deserved to be crucified. That was, that was reserved for the worst of criminals. Jesus received the payment for the worst of criminals. He didn't deserve it, but that guy did. And moments before he died, moments before the end of a rotten, wicked, criminal life, seconds before he was saved. And today, he's, he's in heaven, and he's been there for 2,000 years. And moments before death, God saved him. You might be tempted. I, I don't know if you'd ever say this, but maybe in your heart you think something like this. That's not fair. You might think that. That's not fair. They waited all this time, and they lived it up their whole life, and they lived in sin and did what they wanted and did all these rotten things, and they didn't do anything for God, and they waited till the very end, and then they choose to be saved. You might be thinking, how disrespectful to God. God deserves more of their life than that. Can I tell you something? I promise you, God doesn't feel that way. If you're offended on behalf of God, you're only the one that's offended on behalf of God. God doesn't feel that way. 
God rejoices. I promise you that the second that the thief on the cross got saved, God in heaven and the angels were rejoicing. I promise that the worst of sinners, who's, who's maybe a murderer on the death row, and maybe has raped and pillaged people and murdered people, and he's on death row about to receive the death penalty, I promise you, if he cries out to God, God rejoices in heaven for that. I promise you that. Because our God wants to save every sinner. Every sinner. God does not want to pour judgment. He does not want to pour judgment on any sinner. But he will one day. But he doesn't want to. And any sinner that is saved, no matter how rotten or despicable their life, God wants them to be saved. Desperately wants them to be saved. And God died for them just like he died for you. And God rejoices in heaven when any sinner cries out in repentance. That's our God. He's gracious. There's nothing, listen, there's nothing that God loves more than for someone to cry out for mercy and escape his judgment. That's the heart of our God. You know the parable of the sheep? The one sheep, there's a hundred sheep, and one sheep goes astray, and the shepherd looks all over the place for him. That's our God. That sheep got far, far away, and that shepherd went all over looking for him. And the prodigal son, the one who took the father's substance and wasted it and lived it up, and then ended up in the pig slop, and goes back to his father, repenting, broken over his sin. What does the father do? He's been standing there the whole time waiting for his son to do that. And his, his older brother, he's like, no fair. Why do you love him so much? Because God loves us all that much. And God wants all of us to come to him. And he's ready and willing to receive any sinner with open arms who comes back and, and to his house. <clears throat> Same is true for a wayward Christian. Sometimes Christians get saved and then leave. And, and they, they reject God and go live it up. And then, and then they live miserable lives. Why? Because that's the life you live apart from God. And they might act like everything's good, but they're miserable. Here's, what God, here's the heart of our God. He's just waiting at the end of the road, waiting that they come back. And, and some of us, they come back and we're like, wow, we're just going to accept him back? Yeah, we're going to accept him back. And we're going to kill the fatted calf. And we're going to bring him back. And we're going to have a good old time. And you can go over there and mope and whine. And we'll be there ready for you when you're done with your pity party. But God loves it when a sinner comes back to him. That's our God. And that's who we need to be. Nothing should be more exciting than when someone is reconciled to their God. Grace of our God. Gracious to the end. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for loving us so much. Lord, we're so wicked and rotten. Lord, we're so prone to leave and wonder and live life our own way and, and make a mess of things. You know who we are. <clears throat> we can't hide anything from you. We're thankful that you still love us so much. And now with open arms, we're ready to receive any sinner that's willing to repent. Help us, God. If our hearts are far from you, Lord, I know we're in your house tonight. But, Lord, it's possible to be in your house that our hearts to be far from you. And if there's anybody like that tonight, I pray that they would repent, come back to you.
and that you would receive them. We pray for the lost, so many in our, in our city that just don't know you. And Lord, they don't understand who the God, the Jehovah God is, the God of grace. They also don't understand the judgment of God that's awaiting them. Help them, God, to understand that. Help us, Lord, to be a witness to them. Help us, like Israel, to be a testimony. And Lord, just by the way we live, people know that you're real. Help us that way. And Lord, help us to love the lost the way you do. Help us to love when people repent the way you do. We love you. Christ, and I pray. Amen. Let's all stand.